Welcome to Seeking Alpha's Wall Street Breakfast, your daily source of market news and analysis. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Welcome to Seeking Alpha Editor's Roundtable, what moved markets this week for the week ending November 19th, the week right before Thanksgiving in the U.S., and one would expect volumes to be a bit subdued, perhaps, but that's not what's been going on. It's been an eventful week. Uh, Stocks are still clinging to gains. Most of them, the Dow isn't, but the S&P is, and NASDAQ tech stocks are actually up pretty big for the week. There was quite a, a, a bit that went on. And I will have my panelists discuss that with us here, um, introduce them now in no particular order, joined by Brad Olison, the VP of News, Kim Khan, Senior News Editor, and Stephen Alfer, Managing Editor of Breaking News. I am your host and moderator, Nathaniel E. Baker, Senior Editor of Strategic Contributors. So let's start with Kim to give us the big picture view of what moved markets this week. I think we had a burst of activity today that kind of shook the markets up. We had, um, especially in the bond market, you had um, treasury yields tumbling on Austria going into lockdown for 20 days. And also they'll be having a mandate for everyone to be vaccinated as of February 1st. So that, you know, had a flight to um, safety, especially in Europe, but um, U.S. Treasuries followed suit. And we have now the 10-year yield going closer to 1.5%, where it was kind of at the beginning of the month. And um, as you've seen, like kind of with with the stock market, it's hard to tell when there is a a risk-off move because people who go risk off go into these big mega cap tech stocks. So you have like, you know, so you have the NASDAQ now up one and a half percent for the week because people perceive that, okay, well, things are getting risky out there. I don't like bonds as much, but I'm definitely going to go into to the big six mega caps and, and, you know, secure my money there. So we have, you know, this disparity you can see between the NASDAQ and the Dow, which is getting hit with, um, you know, with rates tumbling, getting hit with financials, and also with energy stocks really struggling because of the tumble in oil on growth concerns with a new lockdown. Yeah, that sums it up, really, a lot, lot of that stuff. I failed to mention earnings at, at the outset. And speaking of large caps, Apple apparently is finally going to produce a car, an electric self-driving car, if I'm not mistaken. But there was a lot of movement in the individual stocks, a lot of it earnings-driven, but not all of it. So, Brad, why don't you tell us about that? This was kind of alluded to, not much happened until towards the, the second half of the week. But if you just want to take a look at the week and as a whole, energy prices clearly were, were the biggest laggard here. WTI crude eased sort of gasoline prices for at home, those at home listening and who are very sensitive to, to those. It obviously, it takes a little bit of time for those gasoline prices to hit the pump. Prices are always faster to go up than they are to come down. Um, gasoline's on pace for its fifth streak weekly loss. So um, it's still up 8% from August. But between WTI crude and gasoline, you're seeing some of the biggest energy exposed names like Apache Oil, Occidental Petroleum, EOG Resources, Marathon Oil, and Valero. Um, as some of the biggest losers this week. And as, as Kim mentioned, the resurgence in COVID cases in Europe and lockdowns led to some other weakness in some of these re- reopening names. Gaming and cruise lines were some of the biggest losers this week uh, with Carnival Cruise, Norwegian Cruise Lines, Penn Gaming, which has had some of its own idiosyncratic issues recently, um, and also Caesars. Um, so th- that's kind of on the big downside on the, on the macro view on a single stock 
basis for for the losers. We had Activision. Uh, the CEO is under a lot of immense pressure due to misconduct allegations. We had a huge walkout from, from the staff to, to protest um, that particular executive. And then you also had financials, most notably the insurers, which were a bit weaker, potentially on the back of some of these lower rates that, that Kim was alluded to and some growth concerns. Some of these insurers make a lot of money on the spread uh, with these interest rates on, and, and their premiums. Um, and that's reflected in the inflows um, across mutual funds and other holdings uh, per Bank of America and EPFR data. The flows to some of the biggest drivers like tech, financials, and energy have slowed and turned lower recently. It is notable, though, that financials and energy are still the two best performers in the S&P this year. Uh, so just a little bit of rotation there. And, and at least as far as the non-S&P 500 names, we've seen a lot of plant-based names suffer recently. Uh, Beyond me, we mentioned last week due to earnings and Oatly uh, was, a, was a big got hit rather large uh, after its earnings guidance uh, dipped and missed expectations. Um, on the upside, M&A was picking up. We also had some activism. QSR, which is the Burger King parent, was buying firehouse subs for a billion dollars. Southwest Gas Quotient, which is this coupons.com owner. And Dollar Tree also attracted large activist investors. It's notable that Dollar Tree is the best performer in the S&P 500 this week. Uh, that news broke late last week. Uh, Moderna, big news, obviously, this Friday, as Kim kind of said, everything's kind of happening today. Um, and Moderna is now one of the biggest movers in the S&P 500. And uh, Nat, as you said, in the, the earnings front, Home Depot, Lowe's, and Walmart, all kind of in, indicating the sales were, were, are going gangbusters. Uh, Lowe's CEO actually came out and mentioned that the macro trends in housing are going to fuel some, some of this home improvement for, for some time. Household balance sheets are strong. There's limited homes for sale. So people are just plowing money back into some of their home improvement efforts. Um, and just kind of an interesting note on where we are in the cycle broadly. Um, some of these economically insensitive names like Home Depot and Nike and Costco and um, others are all near some of their all-time highs, while some of the just kind of random names like wireless carriers, AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon are all tend to be towards the, the, the low end. So at least as far as the economy is concerned and retail spending, uh, the consumer looks to be uh, rather supportive of you know, the economy going forward. Yes, that's true for the U.S. consumer. Um, in China, maybe a bit of a different story. We also had Alibaba reporting this week, and they disappointed, and that stock has sold off. But Stephen, uh, sitting there patiently waiting to give us his two cents or more, what were your views on the activity this week, and what were you watching? The John Deere strike got settled this week, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's a return to the 70s show, right? The uh, workers, about 10,000 workers, I believe, were covered at 8.5,000. 8, $8,500 bonus just if we're going back to work, uh, immediate 10% raise, two more 5% raises over the next couple of years, and two more bonuses, uh, big boost to retirement ben benefits, and there will be cost of living adjustments, speaking of the 70s, uh, will be done quarterly. You know, inflation is kind of getting embedded in wages, if, if you kind of look to that. And it's also, you know, maybe a shift from kind of uh, corporate profits to to maybe maybe some of that money, more of that money going to labor kind of reversal of, of the last, whatever, 30 or 40 years. That's certainly a, a really interesting uh, development to me. All right. Let's move on to the second segment of the show where we discuss our favorite stories, Seeking Alpha articles, research, tweets, or other things that we have seen in our travels. And let's start with Kim. Well, Stephen just mentioned going back to the 70s. Um, and uh, well, I got a note in my 
um, mailbox today is an analyst note from EF Hutton, which is kind of interesting, which gave me a little <laughs> flashback to, to the 70s. And also, you know, um, America's, America's excitement with soccer, another 70s phenomenon that is back because um, Comcast has won the rights to retain the um, Premier League, um, that's English soccer, in, in broadcast rights um, for six years in a package worth uh, north of $2 billion, which is a lot of money if you've been ever following the the, the the trials and tribulations of trying to watch live soccer throughout the years in America. And um, it's, you know, NBC is going to retain it. They fought off some competition from Disney, who was really like, excited to try and get it back and you know, put some juice into ESPN. And also Paramount was in the mix um, with its Paramount Plus streaming package. But um, the interesting thing for me was that, uh, you know, for now, Comcast is saying that they will not put any live games on Peacock, the streaming platform instead they're going to stick with cable some people are arguing you know it gives them live sports gives them more leverage with the cable providers which they kind of need um you know but you know there's a whole generation of cord cutters that are say okay what good is this to me if you know i can't really watch anything you know, any of these games live streaming so that's gonna i think they missed an opportunity there because peacock is like you know kind of still an also ran and if you list of streaming services that you mentioned with like Disney plus and Netflix and, you know, HBO max. That's weird because I could have sworn I've actually watched games on Peacock. And as a lifelong soccer fan, I know quite a bit of the trials and tribulations of following the sport here in the U S and I can tell you it's gotten so much better in the last 20 or 30 years. I mean, yeah, I, I heard that it was actually the, the premier league wasn't too happy about games getting dumped. I'm using a quote unquote on Peacock. So yeah. that might've been a reason or might've been terms of the deal. We don't know. Interesting because no, I know I've had to watch like Spurs matches uh, Tottenham Hotspur on, on the Peacock. It was fine. They were, I mean, I actually ended up paying them a couple bucks each month or whatever it is. So I could do that. So that's weird. I thought anyway. All right. Um, Brad, what about you? So a couple of notes on, on what you guys are just discussing. A, I've, I've long lamented that soccer is overrepresented in the financial Twitter sphere. Um, I have no idea why the U.S.-based mm. media focuses much time on it. Um, that's just my shout out to some of our American fans out there. And uh, an, another thing, uh, it's English football, Kim. It's not English soccer. Um, and E.F. Hutton is also interesting because it was part of the DWAC uh, SPAC. Uh, that that Trump launched. So another blast from the past there. So, you know, that's enough about that. On to, on to my favorite um, issue, I guess, this this, this week. Um, we can we can talk turkey, uh, you know, right ahead of Thanksgiving. And I, I don't mean the actual turkey, but obviously Tesla. We always talk about Tesla. We always have to talk about it. Um, bit of rebound in shares this week, despite the fact of the fight, this kind of, I guess, prevailing negative news flow, right? Ever since he started selling, uh, Musk started selling shares, you know, the the, the shine kind of came off the name. He's talking to Bernie Sanders on Twitter about selling stock. And then lo and behold, as, as you mentioned that at the top of the show, uh, Apple is getting involved in this car um, enterprise. It's a long awaited story. I don't, I don't know how long we've been talking about it in, in financial media. It feels like a decade or more. Um, but notably on that front, Wedbush's Dan Ives uh, doesn't see Tesla's end you know, with Apple's entry into the space. Um, I think he sees plenty of room for a lot of different competitors. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of coverage on the platform talking about how Apple's entry into the space might benefit certain suppliers. So I strongly encourage everyone to kind of 
you know, take a look at some of the, the items we've written on a lot of smaller uh, stocks that might benefit uh, from, from, from this entry. But anyway, as, as everything always comes down to it, it's, it's a, it's always going to be a Tesla week in some form or another. Um, and sure enough, we, we got it this week, despite the fact that, um, you know, we didn't have that sideshow like we saw yes. last week. Right. Yeah. Although give it time. There could be, there could be another one. All right, Stephen, what about you? Uh, just a, a shout out to the podcast that I do each week with Aaron Task. Um, we had Lacey Hunt on as a guest, and, and I've spoken about Hoisington Investment Management, uh, Hunt and his partner, Van Hoisington. Uh, those guys have been steadfastly bullish on long-dated U.S. Treasuries for I don't know how many decades now through every single inflation scare, and, and they've always turned out to be right. Um, so I thought it was particularly interesting to talk to him this week with headline inflation now 6.2%. Uh, and uh, they remain bullish on long-dated treasuries. They're very long duration. Uh, you do they, they admit you are getting an inflation spike now, but the overwhelming amount of, of government and, and household debt in this country means growth is always going to be slower uh, than it ought to be, than trend. Uh, and he expects that to kind of reassert itself next year. Uh, I thought he had some very interesting things to say about the recent economic reports, we had a very speedy retail sales report this, uh, this week, uh, and that was for October. He suggests a lot of sales were pulled forward and Christmas sales were pulled forward into October because folks have read stories about shelves being empty uh, come December. Um, he's much more focused on last Friday's consumer confidence report, which plunged. And he says, you just don't get plunges like that or low reads like that in consumer confidence uh, if the economy's all you know, gangbusters and gung-ho. Uh, he also said the trillion dollar stimulus uh, that was just passed that bill, uh, he's total steadfast. He's like, it's going to slow down economic growth. He's like, yeah, you're going to get a bump, but eventually all you're doing is adding debt. Eventually that will slow down economic growth. Um, so the, the bottom line is, and it's a, a, a pretty good contrarian stance right now, is that uh, they remain uh, very bullish on long-dated treasuries uh, despite, you know, the scary inflation headlines going on now. That is an interesting call indeed. There's some speculation that Powell and Co., whoever replaces him, will not be able to raise interest rates because the market basically won't let them. Um, but that, that is a, something that's kind of bubbling up a little bit. But for me, I want to once again raise attention to the type of thing that you do not see anywhere but the top of bull markets. And that is the attempt this week by a number of individuals to buy a copy of the US Constitution. I do not know what prompted these individuals to do this. Maybe they just have too much time on their hands and too much money. And they touted this revolutionary way of crowdsourcing, of collecting their money and making a bid through the Sotheby's on this using a technology called blockchain, completely ignoring the fact that this technology has existed. Crowdfunding is nothing new. It's probably at least 10 years old and also telegraphing how much they were going to bid on. And to the surprise, perhaps, of nobody, they did not, thankfully, I would add, win their bid for this copy of the U.S. Constitution. I say thankfully because they don't know what they would have done with it. Nobody knows what they would have done with it or what the outcome of this would have been. In the end, it was a nice little publicity stunt for the Dow or whatever that is. All these and not, new- to, not to be confused with the D-O-W Dow. Right. 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 DAO. DAO. Decentralized Autonomous Organization. Oh, you know what it means. Okay. Which is somehow related to NFTs, non-fungible tokens, right? 
but not. It's, it's somehow related to crypto and yes. blockchain. Yeah, right. And they did this using Ethereum, I believe. Anyway, so this is just, I mean, I don't know. I, this Again, this is the type of thing you see at the top of all markets. This whole crypto party is going to end one day and it's not going to be pretty. That's my forecast and I'm sticking to it. Sounds like a bad National Treasure sequel. Yeah, right? Ugh, can't make this stuff up. I know Nick Cage needs some publicity. So he, he would he would be paid in crypto immediately. You know that. Crypto, by the way, having a, not a very good week either, uh, down in the mid 50,000s from what I could tell. Uh, um, Bitcoin, at least. Anyway, that's where we are this week. Thank you all for watching and listening as the case may be. Reminder, you can get the video at 4 p.m. or so on Friday afternoon at the website seekingalpha.com. And the slightly louder audio version of the podcast airs on Saturday morning at 6.30 a.m. through the Wall Street Breakfast podcast account. And with that, we wish you a happy and safe weekend and look forward to speaking to you again next week. That concludes today's Wall Street Breakfast. Thank you for listening. For the best investment analysis and news on the web, go to seekingalpha.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can sign up for our other podcasts, Behind the Idea, Essay for FAs, Let's Talk ETFs, the Cannabis Investing Podcast, and Marketplace Roundtable on those platforms as well. Have a great day.